I've called this second in the series, Jesus and the Bible Teacher, as an encounter with Jesus. And um, I want us to look at five questions that kind of came to my mind as I was looking at this passage, particularly with regard to this encounter with Jesus, that, that we might learn something from this encounter. So the, the first question I want to ask this morning is, who is the Bible teacher? Second thing is, how does Jesus respond? Third is, what does the parable teach? Fourth, how would that encounter have left the Bible teacher? And fifth, what can we learn? So five fairly straightforward questions to ask of this passage this morning. As we look at this idea of encounters with Jesus, I I, I trust and hope in this series that there'll be two things that are going on for us as we look at encounters with Jesus. Number one, that we would deepen our own encounter with Jesus wherever we are in our relationship with Jesus, that we would move in a a greater and, and, and better relationship with Jesus. And secondly, that we would learn something from the way that Jesus encountered these people that we might be able to relate to others in our faith in a more effective way. That we might learn something of how to share the good news through Jesus' sharing of the good news in, in each of the encounters that we come across. So that's the kind of the, the, the drive that I, I, I'd love us to take through this series. But just to set the, the picture before we come to the five questions, the context of this passage, and the reason why I pointed out that it seemed to, to me to make more sense to translate on one occasion in verse 25 as, and behold, it seems to come directly after quite a euphoric high point of Jesus' ministry. He sent out 72 of his first followers to go and proclaim the good news. He sent out 72 of his first followers to do as Jesus has been doing. And they come back saying, wow, this is cool. This is amazing. God is here. And they're dead excited about all sorts of miracles going on and all sorts of things happening. And Jesus is really encouraged and he gives thanks to his heavenly father. And he says to them, yeah, it's great. Don't look at the miracles though. Give thanks that your names are written in heaven. Your relationship with God is, is, is number one. Don't be looking just for miracles and whoopee do things going on. But nonetheless, this is coming off the back of a real high point. And then all of a sudden, there's a kind of a challenge. Boom! Comes. With this guy. And so I, I, I want us just to think, well, who is this Bible teacher? This expert in the law. And what's he about? We don't know exactly who he was, but there's a good chance that this expert in the law was part of the priestly caste, one of the priests from the temple in Jerusalem. And so he was totally and wholly involved in the establishment of the Jewish temple worship. 
And very often, the priests, when they weren't performing their priestly duties, they took on this role of being an expert in the law. Particularly in the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, and helping people to try and work it out. What, what did that mean for my life? And so he wasn't a bad man as such. Often these, these, these experts in the law, we kind of just think, yeah, they're the baddies, boo, hiss, if it was a pantomime. Oh, pantomime, by the way, this week, Five Head Village Hall. If you want to come and see some uh, entertaining things, then by all means, there are a few folk involved in, in the pantomime from church here, so do come along if you like to, Friday, Saturday night. That's an aside. How did that come out? Don't know. Yeah. Boo hiss. The Pharisee, the expert in the law. Sometimes kind of caricatured as a bad man. Don't think he was a bad man as such. You see in in, in verse um, 25 that actually he shows respect to Jesus. Culturally it was respectful to stand and address a teacher who generally would be sitting to teach. And so it was respectful that he stood and addressed Jesus. And he addresses Jesus as teacher, which is kind of interesting because Jesus was not an established part of the society of, 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 of teachers of the law. He was seen as something of an outsider. And yet, often he was addressed as teacher, as rabbi. And so this guy, on the one hand, is showing respect. But then you do see, as well, both in verse 25 and verse 29, that he had ulterior motives. The expert in the law stood up, yes, to test Jesus. He wanted to see what he was made of. And then as he enters into this conversation with Jesus, verse 29, having given an answer and Jesus has responded, verse 29, he wanted to justify himself, to make sure that he didn't end up looking a bit of a numpty. He wanted to make sure he put his point across to justify himself. And so we get the sense Who is this Bible teacher? Well, he's a guy, an ordinary, regular guy. In some ways, very highly regarded by society. But somebody who wasn't actually looking to get to know God better. But somebody who was looking to score points. I wonder if you know people like that people who just like a good argument actually there's not really any any kind of uh, point to their wanting a good argument they just like a good argument they just like to argue the toss and I think there's a there's a there's a characteristic of this guy here that he just likes to argue and he wants to kind of keep himself in the pecking order And Jesus could have blown him out of the water. Jesus could have absolutely shredded him. 
So question two, how does Jesus respond? In verse 28, we see that, that Jesus responds with affirmation where he can. You've answered correctly, Jesus said. Tries to meet him with kind of common ground where it's possible to meet with common ground, not to be always kind of controversial, but to, to kind of meet him and, 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 and walk with him a little bit. But actually, in telling this parable, he doesn't enter into an argument that would end up being completely fruitless. Because actually, the, the teacher in the law, the expert in the law, could just continue, continue, continue to reel off stuff. But Jesus doesn't simply ignore him and stonewall him. But rather, he engages with him. And he engages with him by asking him questions. Pretty much straight away. He bats it back to the expert in the law. Verse 26, what's written in the law? How do you read it? So he's engaging with the guy, but he's not looking to be kind of riled or argue with him. And of course, not only does he ask questions, but he listens to the answers. And I think we need to hear that. It's really important that we listen to people, particularly when we're engaging in conversations of faith. We've got to listen to people as well as speak to them and ask questions. We've got to be listening. It's pretty clear that Jesus is alert to this expert's motives and so ultimately having done a little bit of, of question and answer he comes to this parable tells a story that connects with everyday life it's a story that could work just simply as, as quite an interesting story it's a story that could actually give a little bit of a kind of a moral to it and some people will take Jesus' parables just as kind of moral stories but actually this parable and, and all of Jesus' parables not only work on a common day everyday level and give us a little bit of moral teaching but they reveal something of the heart of God, the character of God, something of what the kingdom of God is like and opens up something of what is available to us should we choose to follow him. It's interesting, Malcolm said to me just before the service began, I wonder if there's a, a parallel that we could draw with the organist that was so awfully and brutally attacked as he was heading to, to, to play at a service just before Christmas. This is not something that just remains in history, but actually it's the kind of event that happens today in our society. And so there's something that we need to to hear on a very practical level. So Jesus responds 
with wisdom, with grace, with integrity as he asks questions and listens to the answers. And then he seeks to try and just help this fella understand. I'm going to kind of make a little bit of an assumption this morning that we're, we're familiar with the, the story and not spend ages on the story itself of the, the two guys that, that come, walk by on the other side and speculate why they did that and, and all of that. But I want us to jump straight in to what the parable might be trying to teach us. What the parable might be trying to teach that first Bible teacher. I guess the first thing is, very obviously, although he doesn't directly answer Jesus's, uh, di- Jesus doesn't directly answer the question of who is my neighbour, he kind of does. And he begins to say, well, look, here is the scope of who my neighbour is. And the scope of, of, of loving your neighbour is very, very wide indeed. And the scope of loving your neighbour is costly. So it teaches that first Bible teacher that his neighbour is pretty much anyone. And I guess actually that reveals the heart of that expert in the law. Because actually the question that that the expert in the law is asking, well, yeah, okay, who is my neighbour? And who isn't my neighbour? That's kind of what he's asking. That's his heart. He's kind of saying, who do I not have to love? And that kind of just reveals something of his heart to say, well, yeah, I I, I love the great and the good, but I'll not love a Samaritan, an outcast of society for the Jews, kind of a half-Jew, somebody that really was to be looked down upon. He was hoping that he wouldn't have to love everybody. And I think the parable teaches that very clearly. And here's the biggie. It highlights the difference between knowing the truth, maybe even believing the truth, and doing the truth. Living the truth which is actually the call to discipleship. It's actually the call to living a life for Jesus, not just knowing about it. Some of you might remember about this time last year, can't remember if it was for Christmas or for my birthday, I was given this fork. And it was beautifully shiny, spanking new, never been used, And it looked lovely. But what good is a spanking new shiny fork that stays in my shed forever and ever and ever 
It's totally useless. Until you start using it. Getting it dirty. I was a bit of a muppet on Friday. I thought that our raised beds that I've built, because we put some nice soil in there, they might just be about diggable. This fork was thick with clay and mud by about three o'clock in the afternoon. You couldn't see it. I had to hose it down to vaguely even see it again. So I was a bit stupid on Friday. I thought I might have been able to dig something, but it's so wet. It's unbelievable. But it is an illustration. It's a, a visual thing of saying, actually, we've got to use our faith in Jesus. We've actually got to go and do. Notice in the text... Jesus says, verse 28, do this and you will live. Finishes, verse 37, go and do likewise. Actually, verse 37, where it says, the one who had mercy on him, in the Greek it actually said, the one who did mercy on him. There's a difference between knowing and doing and perhaps the other two that walked on by knew the truth but they didn't do it whereas the Samaritan uh, the, yeah the Samaritan went and did the truth and actually in that Samaritan we see the grace of the gospel the good news of Jesus Grace is is God's sheer, undeserved generosity towards us. And we see it in the extravagance and the risk that the Samaritan took. Think about it for a minute. This Samaritan goes up to some unidentified and probably unidentifiable bloke that's been given a jolly good kicking and he chooses to help him. That's risky. There's a good chance that he could have ended up being number two victim. But he ignores the risks of doing that. And he gives of his own goods and money. He pours ointment on him. He lets his own donkey and his own stuff get covered in the blood and goo of this poor bloke who's had a kicking. And he takes him to be helped. There's no hint of the Samaritan wanting anything in return. But instead, generously and without thought, he gives two silver coins for the upkeep of the bloke until he comes back and says to the innkeeper, well, I'll sort out any more expenses when I come back. Innkeeper could have ripped him off something rotten. But the Samaritan wasn't worried about that. Sheer, undeserved generosity shown in the actions of the Samaritan and that just points us to the sheer undeserved generosity that God pours upon us in giving us Jesus so we've had a quick look at who the Bible teacher is we've had a quick look at how Jesus responds we've had a quick look at what the parable teaches about the scope of being a neighbour is wide and costly 
of the need to know and to do the truth and the grace of the gospel that is just mirrored in the Samaritan's actions. Number four is almost an impossible question to answer. How would this encounter with Jesus have left that expert in the law, that Bible teacher? It's unresolved. We don't know. We don't know what happened after that. I don't know whether he would have been really angry. How dare that Jesus upstart give me that dressing down through that story he was pointing at me really or was he challenged was he challenged did he go away and and just ponder on that and think yeah yeah actually that's right he's got a point don't think I like what he's saying but he's got a point we don't know how he'd have responded. But actually, he'd have gone away from that encounter, having experienced the grace of Jesus in engaging with him, with integrity, with respect and courtesy. Grace was both described in the story and embodied in Jesus telling the story. We like to have it all sewn up, don't we, sometimes? But here, don't know. Think about our own lives. We'd love to conclude and, and have all our relationships tied up and, and everybody that we try to... to, to, to to share the good news of Jesus with. We'd love for them just to fall on their knees and say, yeah, you're dead right, Andy. But it doesn't happen like that. We don't know what happens as we live our lives. But we know that we need to be living our lives influenced by the grace of God and the generosity of God so that our interactions might leave people positively challenged. So what can we learn ever so quickly? Fifth thing. For our own walk with God, we can stop for a moment and recognise the grace of God in sending us Jesus. We can remember that the creator of the universe, the one who made that fabulous blue sky and the beautiful plains outside as we drive back to our homes, the one who made all of that, the one who created Bevan and all the other children, who created each one of us, he loved us so much that he came to this earth to die for us. Not because we're good enough, but because he loves us. And we see that in this story. So let's be reminded of that for ourselves. But let's be reminded too that our faith is active 
And it does require us to take risks. Just like the Samaritan. Risks, generally speaking, are quite uncomfortable. But usually, when we're taking risks for God, they are always worth it. I was just thinking of a story that Stephen Fry told of uh, doing a bungee jump. You might love Stephen Fry, you might hate him. But he was kind of telling this story, and he's terribly proper, Stephen Fry, isn't he? He's a kind of t- typical public schoolboy, but 50-odd years on. And, and I can't imagine Stephen Fry bungee jumping for crying out loud. But I can imagine him kind of being quite... But as he hit the bottom and started doing the boinging thing, he just wanted to get back in the boat and straight back up there again. And I'd encourage us to take risks for Jesus. It might not always be a bungee jump experience. Sometimes we'll end up bloodied. But if we're doing them for him, then he will hold us and bring us through. So there, we can learn for our own walk with God the amazing grace of God and the need for us to take risks. How about for our reaching out to others? I've kind of alluded to it already. Sharing the good news of Jesus, evangelism takes time. We can think that it's all about a kind of a one-off service or a one-off event and and everybody will come to recognise Jesus as Lord. But actually, it takes time. And sometimes we just don't know what's going on. We can be reminded as we reach out to others that actually it's important to ask questions and to listen to what people are saying. Be ready to see that actually maybe folks' hearts are are far away from God. And we need to act with grace and courage and courtesy. We need to pray for people, specifically pray for people that we want to see and to know and to to live the good news of Jesus. I was really struck. Um, I saw something just last night on Twitter about a, um, a meeting in London called the Sunday Assembly. And the Sunday Assembly is a church for atheists. Huh? How does that work? And there was this kind of quite helpful article just looking at this gathering of people that came together and they actually met in an old deconsecrated Anglican church. But actually what they were saying is we want a community that wants to live better, help often, and wonder more. And I thought, yeah. Actually, there's, there's something being articulated in those folk getting together that understands that there is something that they need And okay, they're missing out the key bit. 
they're missing out relationship with God but actually what really impressed me although in in many ways it feels a bit wacky to me as a Christian I actually saw quite a lot of comments from Christians that were very humble in saying actually what you've described really challenges me and what goes on in my church because actually it could just be a bit of a meeting of of like-minded people so I guess we need to be listening to our culture is what I'm saying from that slightly curious thing that I read about we need to be listening and, and being willing to learn willing to hear what our society is saying so that we can come to the right moment of sharing the gospel Jesus was so skilled sometimes he challenged people outright like Nicodemus in John chapter 3 here he doesn't challenge them outright but just tells them a story holds before them a picture of grace and mercy and leaves them there with that maybe to come back to that so we can hear something of how we can reach out to others in this passage and I'd encourage you to look again not just at the story but the interaction between Jesus and the expert in the law to see the grace of God at work in Jesus and maybe to picture people that you know that you love they just like a good argument and maybe that will bring you to prayer for them or maybe this will just bring you to your knees because you see the grace of God for your own life